Well, again, welcome. Awesome to see you all. Awesome to see all the uh, blue that's out there as well. Praise the Lord for what he's doing, uh, hopefully in your lives as well as within the local church here. And just praise the Lord in general, because he has called us. And for some, calling is confusing. What, what does being called mean exactly? And very simply, it means to be saved and then to give in a new purpose, because we are a new creation in Christ. And as I said before in this testimony series, this is the testimony from the Word, and I did have another gentleman that was going to share his testimony today, but instead, I'm not sharing my testimony, but I'm going to share Moses' testimony with you, because it might very well be my personal favorite testimony out of scripture, of any of the prophets or anyone else who has been called and who has been saved. There is a lot about Moses that reflects each and every one of us, but never lose sight of the fact that Jesus is the one who calls. He is the God who saves, and he is the one who calls us to a new purpose, as you see from you know, the, the scriptures here. So, I'm going to do it a little bit differently today, too, believe it or not. I'm going to very simply go line by line. If you see from the back of your bulletin, there are points, then there's subpoints, and then I saved you the effort of the sub-subpoint. <laughs> so, without further ado, let's pray and let's see how Jesus changes lives, even from the Old Testament, how God intervenes in the life of his children, and his people. So, dear Heavenly Father, uh, again, just thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to know you and to love you and to serve you. And Lord, as we see this, let us not lose sight of what your overarching purpose is, especially that we shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins, that you are the God of deliverance, that you are the savior of your people. And that's very clear and very present in this passage, Lord, but make it seen in our hearts and in our minds. Let us see how your calling, albeit different from Moses' calling, because each of us are uniquely different. Let it be for your glory. Let us be rejuvenated and excited and encouraged that you have saved us and that you have indeed called us to a higher purpose. So use this morning well. We love you. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we'll forever pray. Amen. All right. Exodus chapter 3. Hopefully you've all had a few minutes to get there. Uh, very simply, uh, the first two chapters, we find out a little bit about Moses' life. And, and to make it kind of a long story short, he is both a murderer and a coward so far. <laughs> that's where we come and that's where we pick this up, is that... You know, the, the life that he had, he was with Pharaoh for 40 years. Then he saw his people. Clearly, there's an ethnic difference between an Israelite and an Egyptian. And that is still obviously seen today that Moses knew that even though he was with the Egyptians, that 
he didn't really belong there. There was always probably a, a longing and a yearning that was going on. And so before we come to the burning bush moment, we have that Moses has grown up 40 years and that he's killed an Egyptian soldier or a guard over the Israelites, the Hebrews. And then now he's run away and he's gone to the wilderness. He's gone to Midian. And now he's been a shepherd for 40 years. So 40 by 40, if you will. And then we hit this text right here in Exodus chapter 3, the burning bush. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. Okay, let's stop there <coughs> briefly and talk about calling and Moses' calling. And then, of course, circumstance, you saw as that subpoint. In God's calling of our lives, there is always a situation and a circumstance that is present. God's timing is always perfect. And to remind you what Peter has said about God, a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day with the Lord. And because of that, God being eternal as he is, each and every human being that God comes in contact with, like Moses is 80 years old at this point, right? And you think about 80 years old, well, shoot, most people don't even live to 80 years old. But God, back in this time, waited 80 years to have this conversation with Moses that he's about to have. And so we might wonder, why Moses? Why go west? Why Mount Horeb? Why, you know, 40 years under Pharaoh being in his court, being trained as an Egyptian? And then why 40 years of a shepherd? And these are all questions that we ask, but is there any real answer to? Is there a reason why God picked Moses? The answer is no, there really isn't a reason aside from God's great love and God's great mercy. He had a plan for Moses and he intervened in his plan. But this, again, very simply talking about circumstance. And I know each and every one of us have had a unique circumstance happen in our lives that brought us to Jesus or brought us to seek Jesus more than where we're at. Perhaps it was a tract. Perhaps it was a friend. Perhaps it was a TV show that you've seen that caused or sparked some curiosity. Perhaps it was a, a thing that you saw on YouTube and you're like, well, that's interesting. Maybe you were invited to a Bible study. Maybe you were invited to a worship gathering like this on a Sunday morning. Maybe you had a chance encounter with an old friend who had dedicated their lives to Christ. Maybe it was a stranger on a plane. But you see that there are all of these circumstances and situations. Or maybe you went to church on a Sunday morning because you thought that a church was abusing the coffee equipment that you sold to them. And some of you may know that, but that is actually my testimony of the circumstance of how God intervenes. I used to be a sales rep for Papa Nicholas Coffee Company, and um, 
if you've ever sold coffee, you know, the bun equipment that you have, we actually have, you know, if it wasn't pandemic time, we serve coffee here and it's Papa Nicholas coffee. And they always supply the equipment when you buy the coffee. So I get this call from this, this church that orders coffee and I had to go to the pastor's house one day and I dropped off the coffee to him at the house. But it had been like a month or two months since I'd seen them. And being a sales rep, a lot of gas stations were signing up with us, getting our equipment and then putting like Folgers in the coffee, giving thus us a bad name and be abusing the system. So me in my thinking that church is full of silly people <laughs> thought that this church was abusing our equipment just the same. So I came there on a Sunday morning to go and see and to make sure that they actually did use Papa Nicholas coffee in the equipment that we did. The good news is, is that they did. But what happened next, that was the beginning of like a three month amazing journey with God. And I'm not going to get into that, but it's that circumstance. God used my own frustrations <laughs> or my own concerns for the coffee company that I was working for to come and spy on a church to make sure that they were legit and not hypocritical liars like most people typically think that they are. So praise the Lord for that. But it's that kind of circumstance. And we see that here. Why, why was Moses leading the flock to the west side that day? Why did he go to Mount Horeb that day? Why, which Mount Horeb, you should know, is the same as Mount Sinai. Horeb is kind of the land location of several little mountains. And Mount Sinai is one in Mount Horeb. So it's one of the peaks. But why did he lead him there that day? Why did all that happen? And so... Again, the circumstances that surround our lives and our callings, it's important to see that and to be aware of that. And that's exactly what had happened to Moses here. He's leading the flock and he was led to the mountain. And then he saw the burning bush. And I don't want to go too, too deep because there's so much theology and you see that this is a big passage. But the angel of the Lord, uh, what they call that is theophany which is the representation of God in human form, how he speaks to them. And so this angel in the Lord, there's one of three takes that we can all uh, appeal on it. We can be like, that is a separate being from God that God used as kind of a messenger or a mediator between him and Moses. There is the view that that angel of the Lord is the manifestation of the Lord uh, God <clears throat> in himself and then there's a third one where people believe that that's the manifestation of the the pre jesus before he comes on the scene the angel of the lord but either way it's important to see that god uses other people especially now to bring others to curiosity within him or to bring them to faith jesus uses his church and his children to be other people or to bring other people to the faith. But that's, again, circumstances. Everybody's circumstances are different. Every human being on this planet's different. So how God speaks to each of us, how God calls each of us, uniquely different, which is why testimonies are so cool, because each of us have a unique story in the grand scheme of his story. So praise the Lord for that. Now, going on to the calling, the verse four through nine and confrontation, if you will. There's always this that happens too, this type of confrontation. So 
verse 4 to 6, what you're going to be confronted with, first and foremost, is God's holiness. God's holiness. That's the first confrontation that we have. So let's read here. Verse 4. It's actually dark up here. (laughs) Um, When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take off your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. I find it fascinating that Moses hid his face in this too. Like, this is the proper response, don't get me wrong. But let's be real, Moses grew up as a pharaoh's uh, prince, right? He was probably very, very, very far away from this God. He was in the plurality of gods, worshiping you know, the sun god, the moon god, every other type of god that there probably was. Now, this last 40 years, it's interesting, and you see it from the first one, that he's with Jethro, which if you go back to the last chapter, he has a different name, but he was the priest of Midian which makes me think that he was raised by the world first or by the strongest culture of the time, and then he was raised in the faith. So first 40 years by culture, then the second 40 years by faith. And now he's confronted with this holiness. And what's interesting too is that he knows him for some reason. And it always begs that question is that when we have this circumstance and then we're confronted by the holiness of God that separates you know, him from anything else in creation, that that we bend the knee, so to speak, and we understand and that we're able to see, you know, that that we aren't who we think we are. And then God's holiness shines this light into our hearts that makes us realize and makes us see that that maybe we're not as great as we made ourselves out to be or understand that we are. So this here I am is, is very, very interesting, and it falls in much farther down the line too, but this God calls Moses, Moses. God has done that with Abraham, Jacob. Now he's done it with Moses. He does it with Samuel. He'll do it with Isaiah. And each of them respond the same way, which kind of begs the question, like when God's talking to you, do you just simply know that God's talking to you? Do you realize that you're having a divine experience with the living God? Like it's just an almost automatic, wait, this is my creator. Here I am. Now, what's interesting about that here I am, and we're going to go into that, is that God talks about, say, I am who I am later on in this passage. And so when we say very quickly in this text, here I am, it's very different than here I am. Like, it's, it's all a matter of a comma. It's all a matter of punctuation. But it's all a matter of reverence and respect for the holiness of God because he is so set apart. And he is so different from us and the rest of the world. Remember, he's not created in our image. We're created in his image. And so we would be lesser, if anything, than him by far rather than the other way around. And so God's holiness and the here I am, and then I am the God. Again, this I am, the great I am. And so 
really what we need to know and what we need to take away from God's holiness is that God initiates this conversation just like in our own salvation. It's not something that we we work towards. It's not something that we earn. It's something that God mightily intervenes in his holiness and his mercy in our lives. Or how about if I say it this way? We, as an unholy people, by some great wonder, <laughs> now have a relationship with a holy God. That's really where we're at in this, is that we realize that we aren't worthy, but that God is holy. And how do we reconcile that relationship? Well, God in the Old Testament was able to use angels of the Lord as well as other things to, you know, he's always saved people by faith. But in our present time, we have that blessing and the power of the Holy Spirit. We live at the best time that there is in all of redemptive history to live in because we have more blessings than Moses has. Did Moses have scriptures? Remember, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, and we're only in the second book of the Bible. So this that he's living out was not recorded anywhere. None of these interactions had happened. But again, God's holiness and working through, you know, the life of Moses and even just this, this little burning bush incident uh, has been eternally altered by the presence of the living God in our lives. So praise the Lord for that. Um, in confrontation also, you're going to discover God's purpose. You're going to discover his purpose. And that's very clear in 7 through 9. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the land of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. And then we'll stop there. Keep your, keep your finger in your place. Now, this is, this is the biggest, best verse out of all this is verse 8. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Okay? Let's flip the script a little bit. We obviously know the bigger part of this story. This is God's greatest redemptive act in the life of Moses, but this is exactly what he's still doing today. I have come down to deliver them. Jesus has come down to live that perfect sinless life on our behalf, to take that punishment that we don't deserve so that we get mercy and grace, grace being unmerited favor, mercy being you not receiving the punishment in which you rightly deserve, which is to be cut off from God forever because of our sins. So very simply, if we say this, Jesus has come down to deliver us out of the hand of sin. Praise the Lord for that. And that's God's purpose. That's always his purpose. We have a tendency to drop down from that and make many other things, the Christ-centric issue. But I promise you, and Scripture tells you, that God, first and foremost, came to deliver us. Anything else? We would call that gravy. <laughs> first and foremost, though, 
Jesus came to save sinners, of whom each and every one of us are. Not one of us is righteous. No, not one. So deliverance is defined as a rescue from bondage or from danger. And here, God is defined as the deliverer of Israel who rescues his people, not because they deserve to be rescued, but as an expression of his mercy and his love for his creation and humanity, his people. So again, praise the Lord and see that and see again that our callings, albeit they're very different, are also very, very similar too, because God has called all of us to these same types of purposes. So it's his timing, first and foremost, in Moses' calling, that brings about the circumstance of Moses taking the sheep out to the west side of the field that day to go to Mount Horeb to see this burning bush, to be curious in his heart, to then be you know, confronted by God's holiness. And many of our stories are the same way. Like, yes, we didn't have sheep and shepherds and all that, but there is naturally a pull and a, and a calling to us to be curious about the person and character of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as much as I said, but my circumstance was to go to church because I thought that they were abusing coffee. In that very moment, like, it, it, it started something that, that made in my heart because I, w- I was in church that day. I didn't leave. I didn't leave that morning. I was in the back, you know, like Dan and just blah, 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 blah. just like, I'm here. What am I doing? Like, this is great. Like, Dan's really not like that. I just, you know, but, uh, <laughs> but, but all in all, I was just sitting there. And and I'm kind of staring at the walls, the windows, like, man, this is like forever. I got to sit here and listen to a guy talk for how long? Like, dang. And then look where I'm at now. But but at the same time, uh, I remember, and and I'll never forget it, and it it never makes sense to me because I don't remember what happened beforehand in the sermon. I I don't remember what happened afterwards in the sermon, but I remember uh, his name was Jamie. Behold God's glory down to the blades of grass. And in my heart, I'm like, are you kidding me? Blades of grass, God's glory. I've got to mow it. I've got to water it. I've got to fertilize it. There is no glory in grass. But, but God used that again in that night at dinner uh, in my backyard between these two trees. I've never seen anything before like it. I've never seen anything after like it. More butterflies flying between these true trees had to be hundreds. No joke. Had to be hundreds. Never seen it before. Never seen it after. I visited many butterfly houses, all kinds of things in my walk. Never seen it before. Never seen it after. But I was like, wow, what a weird coincidence that on this same day that I go to church and I'm like, God's a joke, that this wonder happens. And again, that's part of being confronted with, you know, God's holiness, God's circumstances, God's plan. And, And then, yeah, it's been a crazy journey since then. Make no mistake about it. But that was the day that it all started. And it's a day that I assume those who are called by God typically don't forget. They remember those days that like, wow, 
Like, where was I? What was I doing? How did that happen? How did this all work out? So all these questions, why Moses? Why, why go west? Why Mount Horeb? Why? God had that plan. God had that plan. And then you even think about all the situations and the circumstances that happen that lead up to go to a church that morning filled with like spite that they might you know, like be abusing coffee equipment. And I get to call out this hypocritical church for their nonsense. And, and here I am now. And I'm like, how did I get here? <laughs> and, and, and we're going to see even more of, of that in Moses' story because he's apprehensive. He's, you know, uncertain. He has unbelief. He has doubt. He has all of these things. But in this calling, just again, each of us have a circumstance. Each of us are confronted by the holiness of God. And then each of us are delivered by God, from the slavery of sin into what we could say is the slavery of righteousness, but it's not slavery in the sense of I have to do these things. It's I want to do these things. What a blessing to be here and an opportunity to be here. So praise the Lord again for all that that's going on. So <clears throat> moving on to the second point, the commissioning. This is every one of us have a vocation. You, you have ministry spheres of influence, uh, of work, of home, of school, uh, any of those things. But this commissioning, of course, is a little bit different for Moses. He's supposed to, you know, deliver a nation from the hands of Egypt. You know, super easy stuff. Like, no big deal. But uh, verse 10, very simply. Um, let me find it here. This is the commission. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Okay, that's the whole commission. That's the call to service. That is something that every Christian feels. Every Christian does feel a call to service, however that may look. Each of us have different spiritual gifts. Uh, we could spend you know weeks talking about spiritual gifts because there are so many and how that plays out and whatnot. But very simply... Think about it this way, and, and especially in the context of what I just said. If you had told me 10 years ago that I would start a church plant and that I would be preaching on a regular basis, I would have laughed in your face. <laughs> I would have said, are you kidding me? Who do you think you are? Who do you think I am? And, and it's very interesting because that's exactly kind of what Moses does. Like, well, you know, who am I? But here's the thing, too, is that my old friends... Like the people who knew me pre-Christ, before Christ, if you will, they know that something extraordinary must have happened because there's no way on earth, which is the truth, no way on earth, that Eric would be here of his own free will. Like if you knew part of my history and background, like I used to mock speech class in a sense. Like they only cared about the style of the speech in itself. So I wrote a speech on M&Ms. I wrote speeches on milk. I wrote a speech on procrastination, which I wrote a half hour before the speech. Uh, uh, it's pretty good. And yeah, I never, I never really like public speaking. Like I, I think I said it last week, like some people would rather be dead than to public speak so to speak. And, and it's not something that I'm like, oh, I need to be afraid of or scared of. But it's also something like, man, I don't want to do that. Because, you know, the most common meal that we have on Sunday afternoon is pasta roast. 
<laughs> so instead of pot roast, pasta roast. Okay, bad jokes, but you know it still happens, and uh, it's part of being a dad too. That just naturally occurs as life goes on and time goes on. But people know that there is a difference. They have seen a difference. They, they like even my children know because they were, you know, fourteen and eleven in my pre-Christ life, and so I had raised them, you know, before having Christ in my life, and then afterwards, and they've seen it, my mom's seen it, my old friends have seen it, in fact, my old friends are kind of scared of me, because they, they haven't really, like, seen that, well, I'm not this Bible-bashing thumper, like, love Jesus, love people, like, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, like, there is no shadow of doubt that lingers in my heart based on, you know, circumstances, based on understanding God's holiness, seeing how we are, seeing the commission, and then going through this walk, like, man, there's been so many times where it is just a complete faith and trust walk, and there is absolutely nothing, <laughs> like, like, we shouldn't even be here, but we are, and the only reason we are is because of Him, praise the Lord, and so, how awesome is that, that the commission and then to see that and to have that in other people. So that is the commissioning, the, the, the purpose. Like, yes, we see that, but it's really not that much of a stretch from where we are right now because God is going to use you and you and you and you to bring other people to him. And that's exactly what he did with Moses. He brought or he delivered Moses so that Moses could deliver Israel back to God. And God, that's how God uses people, and that's how God's plan works. So very simply, the commissioning. And then we have two unbelief objections in verse 11 through 15 here. We'll just go through the first one. Who am I? So let me find that here. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You shall serve God on this mountain. So that's the first unbelief, like, who am I? And that's kind of realizing God's holiness and then our unholiness or our brokenness or our sinful nature, how we pale in comparison to measure up to the living God. And... It's interesting because you read these, these couple verses here in 11 and 12, and Moses said, who am I that I should bring the people? And, and God doesn't deny him. <laughs> he stretched imagination. He's like, well, yeah, who really are you? But don't worry, I will be with you. And again, that's the same thing that Jesus has said to us you know, in, in the future times. So there's really not that much difference again because you know, in the world, we will face tribulation, but behold, I will be with you always to the end of the age, you know, and go and make disciples of all nations. So that's exactly the same, albeit different, <laughs> of God's purpose again. We see that, that there's unbelief, and there's unbelief in us. And so many of us, you know, especially when we know that we have to 
well, not have to, that we get to be the, the, the salt and light of the world, but we're like, man, I don't know how to tell people about Jesus. I'm not going to share my faith. I'm not going to talk with anybody about anything. Well, you're in this first step of where Moses is. So don't sweat it. <laughs> like God's most likely going to work through it, and he's going to bring more likely friends or family or someone else. But ultimately, it's, it's about sharing that. You know, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. How do you love God? Well, you surround yourself with people that love God. You, you study his word. You're part of it. You maybe read sermons, texts. You continue to grow in that love. And then that love continues to like just blossom out of you. Uh, Paul says in, I can't remember, 2 Corinthians 6, that God shone his light into our hearts. And that light of salvation. And it's that light that God shines within us, that people are able to see and they're like, why are you so different? What's, what's changed in you? And, and there's no other response other than Jesus changed my life. <laughs> I don't even know how, like I'm trying to understand it and I get it, but you know, there's the Holy Spirit, the salvation, trusting, faith, building, all these things, but it's not something that we can easily identify and or simplify. But I love this passage too in 1 Corinthians, and I actually did have this as part of my notes. 1 Corinthians chapter 26, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Amen. And I am happy to acknowledge that I might be what is weak in the world. Because knowing Christ my Savior, everything else is not meaningless, not worthless, but pales in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And to walk the walk and to talk the talk with Jesus. That's part of the commissioning. That's part of the vocation. And he prepares us for that. So who am I? I'm insignificant and inadequate. For sure. But God's with me. As God is with you. And God prepares us and uses us for this. Now, going on to verse 13. Who are you? There is so much theology in this, and especially in, in the next section too. Uh, I've, I've simplified it. Lord, please forgive me as far as the theology goes. But the who are you, um, verse 13, he, he is Yahweh. He is. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob 
has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Yahweh, Y-H-W-H. This is kind of a building. Self-existent, uncaused, depends on no other source for his existence. This is our creator. And more so, if we were to break this down, and this really needs to be read in the original Hebrew, the God who is, the God who is God, living and real, the God upon whose existence all other existence depends, and the God who spoke to and made promises to the patriarchs. This is who that God is, the creator of heaven and earth and anything and everything in it. And so we refer to him simply today as Jesus, but that's the son. And so Yahweh is the father. And so depending on that angel of the Lord and, and depending on our view, this is either, you know, Christology coming through that, that even before Jesus came on the scene, he was on the scene, which is absolutely the case. But did God use him in this way? Was it a real manifestation of God? These are things that we don't really know, but God has poured his spirit in us new, which is why that we're able to stand with more confidence today than surely Moses stood in confidence, even despite having a burning bush. And I always think about the Israelites after the fact, when manna comes from heaven every day, and they saw the Red Sea parted, and they saw the pillar of smoke, and they saw all these things, and they're like, where's God? Where's God? And it's like, man, you know, it just, again, shows our brokenness and our unbelief and our distrust, even though God is completely 100% trustworthy. Now we come to verse 16 through 22, and this is about instruction. And this is, you know, very interesting for Moses and very theologically minded, but at the same time, this doesn't necessarily apply to us as much today because our instructions come from the Holy Spirit, they come from the Word of God, and they come from fellow church members, just the same. So uh, God tells Moses what he is to do in this point, which is go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now, please let us go a three-day journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it, and after he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. Again, very rich in theology and what's going on. Um, 
but for application purposes, I want us to realize that, that God does have a purpose and that God does have a plan and that he does give us instructions. You're looking at them. Moses did not have this. Again, Moses wrote the first five books. These are our instructions. If you want to know about the character and the nature of our creator God, there's so much in just this little passage that we can find out about the character and nature of our God, let alone the rest of this book, let alone the 65 other books of the Bible that are out there, let alone, you know, the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us, as that's the greatest gift that God has given us. Because it used to be God in a temple. Now it's we are the temple. We God is within us. And that is, again, a huge difference. But what's our instruction? What's our purpose? Go back to the basics. Go back to, you know, the original calling, the callings for salvation. So what does that, what does that translate to? What does that look like for other people? How do, we, how do we encourage them? How are we part of God saving them? Well, it depends how close we are to God or how far away we are from God. Like, this is a walk that's a daily walk. But for some, it's a weekly walk. For some, it's a monthly walk. For some, there's no walk at all. You know, everyone's different. And so that's why within the spiritual disciplines, as so far as it depends on you, you know, not only live peaceably with everyone, but to be a part of, you know, and to continue to grow in that love, to continue to, you know, be a part of the church. What's really important is this in, in verse 16, go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them. And then he says, go and take the elders. God has, you know, you're not alone. A, God is always with you. And then B, the church now in, in this new era, this new covenant of Christ, we have each other. We have the church. We're together in this and, and we're never to be alone. So Moses was never expected to do this alone back then. So why today would we be expected to do that? Why can't we stand together united, you know, to evangelize the community, to love the community, to be a part of the community? It's, it's very simple, but we, again, make things way more complex than they need to be sometimes. And, but God's instruction, it's present, it's clear. It's, it's by the Holy Spirit. It's by the Bible today. It's by the church. And my favorite proverb is 2717, as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. That's exactly what instruction we have, to live a life of discipleship following our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ together as the church. So there's, of course, so much more to say about that, but very simply to tie that together. Then we come to the last section, verse or chapter 4, verse 1 through 17, the personal issues that we might have. We might have those unbelief issues. We might have gone through all that, but um, it's just fascinating what, what Moses does and what he says in here, and especially considering what he just saw, especially considering what just happened. Um, but if we look at verse 1 through 9, it's, it's all about uh, Moses. He's like, I don't have any street cred. Like, how are they going to believe me? Like, I haven't done anything. I ran away. I'm a murderer and a coward that ran away from Egypt 40 years ago. Now I've been a, a humble shepherd. I married, you know, this, this woman. We had a son. I just, I just herd sheep. That's all I do. But 
what God says here and what he does here. Uh, Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Again the Lord said to him, Put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, Put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. A lot of foreshadowing, right? A lot of foreshadowing of what we know of the story and the testament and what's going on. But it is, again, no no street cred, but remember who's with you. Remember, like, I don't know how to talk to people. I don't know how to, like, you have a testimony. I'm telling you, you all have a testimony. This is Moses' testimony, and albeit yours is going to be different, it's relatively the same testimony of Jesus coming into your lives. You seeing his holiness and his reverence and the circumstances, and uh, again, the brokenness and the deliverance and the salvation that that Jesus offers. And you're like, "I, I know I need this. But there's really, very simply, <laughs> again, no, no reason, and there's no street cred, and, and that's fine that we don't have credibility in, in some capacity because God puts those people in our lives. Like when you're first saved and when things first happen, you know, everybody's going to be skeptical. Everyone's going to doubt you. Everyone's, but as time goes on, as you stand more and more firm on the solid rock that is Christ, then we grow more and more confident in, in who God is. And there's no personal issues, like because you begin to see people how Jesus begins to see people. You see them worthy of dignity and respect, but you also are a little bit, you know, cautious because you know that they're also terrible, ugly, horrible sinners. (laughs) So when you know both sides of the story, you can go into a relationship very differently than, than before. So there will always be, you know, those opportunities. And I always remember this too, that, that Jesus, you know, didn't, didn't come to, you know, bring families together. He came to bring the sword. He's going to pit mother against daughter, father against son, you know, because it's you're in Christ or you're out of Christ. Like if you want to boil it down to something else, like, you know, skin color or work ethic or anything else, you're missing the point. There are only two types of people in this world. There are those who are in Christ. And then there are those who are not in Christ. And so for us that are in Christ, this commission that we have is to be used by God to bring other people in Christ rather than being out of Christ like they are. So God will work within that. Now, verse 10 through 17. Again, probably some of my favorite stuff. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? 
<laughs> Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. All right. Obviously, it's been a good amount of time. The kids are coming back. We're about to wrap up here, but ineloquent and scared. This this kind of ties back to what I told you a little bit about, uh, you know, speech class growing up and, you know, all the different times there, eloquent and scared. Again, coming back to the point of, of Jesus is the one who works. He's the one who initiates the salvation. He's the one who delivers us, and he's the one who calls us to a purpose. So for us to you know, have these personal issues of, well, I'm not good enough at this. I'm not good enough at that. I really can't do this. You know, that, that almost really is sin <laughs> because you're denying God's, you know, his glory in you in a changed life because you're being stubborn, because you're, you're insecure because of your own pride. And, and that's how that comes. And so to be ineloquent and scared, you know, Again, praise the Lord, because that's not really the case. There's no reason for that. There's no reason to be really ultimately scared of anything, because the worst thing that you know can ultimately happen to you here on earth is you die. And if you're in Christ, you know where you're going. So is it really that bad if we leave this behind and go be with Jesus? No, not necessarily. But there are other fears. There are other things that we as human beings worry about. But this whole you know, repentance and faith that, that, that God has for us, that he gives us the opportunity to, you know, work with him throughout. And it's because of that, again, that we can have a, a blessed assurance because it's on God's grace, his unmerited favor, not on our works and on our accomplishments. So that, again, Jesus changes lives. And because he does change those lives, he can make you eloquent. He can he can prepare you to publicly speak on a regular basis. And I know this from experience. <laughs> That's why I'm here, right? <laughs> now, my most favorite thing that Moses says in this next verse. But he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. That's my favorite favorite. Then he, then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put his words in his mouth. And I will be with you, with your mouth and with his mouth. And will teach you both what to do. And then save that last verse or the last two verses there. But Oh, man, please send someone else. We've said that. Come on now. You've all said that. Like, let's be real. <laughs> We're all, you know, well, like Moses, you know, because when Jesus says murder isn't necessarily, you know, the physical act, but it's hate within our hearts. We're all murderers and cowards at times, just like Moses, just the same. Please find someone else. But brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you to embrace the calling because it took me years. I'm not going to lie. Like it, it took a long time, but to embrace the calling as opposed to be kind of standoffish against the calling. This is where, if anything, the free will, you know, come, comes into mind because it's, it's what, what do we do with God? What do we do apart from God? And it's a constant pendulum swing. The closer you are to God, 
the more you know you're in his word the more you're with his people uh, the more you're going to grow in this confidence and the strength and then the more that you're away from god the more that you're in just the world itself you know no spiritual disciplines you know not really even coming on sundays very often missing studies group whatever it is being apart from christ not doing your own devotionals that's going to leave you in in where moses is you know in this go find someone else please i don't I, I got enough stress in my life god i don't need you to tell me to go to you know this event and to go love people over here and to do that like my family's chaotic this is chaotic. and again we're missing you know the overarching big point that god is in control over all of this and that he's called us for greater purposes than ourselves not to be selfish but to be selfless and so <laughs> you know this last part we we bear witness to what god has done in our lives right like like that ultimately is it and if god if we feel that god hasn't done very much in our lives we're not going to present that to any other people because we're like well god hasn't done very much but if you've had your life radically changed as as christians have then you're going to be radical and you're going to you know take wild steps for Christ and you're going to be bold and and you're going to be nearer to God because you do see that he is the way the truth and the life and everything that's good in this world you know for from him and to him and through him are all things and so this this last part be as god to them very simply, it's it's such a Christ-centric thing that I just had to, to pull it out. There's so much Christ-centric everything in this. All scripture breathes out and talks about Christ. Let's be real. But this last part, he shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him and take in your hand the staff with which you shall do the signs. It's kind of funny that that's the last thing that God says to Moses. Take in your hand the staff with which you shall do the signs. Like, don't forget your staff. <laughs> when you're out there, don't forget your staff. <laughs> it's, it, 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 it cracks me up, right? Yeah, exactly. But this whole speak for you and to the people, this really ties into the mediation part of it. You know, you see the brother Aaron, you see that we're never alone, but you also see that Moses needed someone else. And that's exactly where we're at, because we need someone else. We need Jesus. That's what every human being on this planet needs, is a relationship with their creator, whose name is Jesus, or Yahweh in the Old Testament, God the Father. But this deliverance and this purpose in Christ Understand that this is God's calling. Understand that there is but one mediator between God and men, and that is the person Christ Jesus, at least in our time now. We see this old story, but we also see the similarities between the old story in the Old Testament and the new story of what Christ has done and how he has grown and changed us and that we are now part of his kingdom because of those changes and what he's done. So, Praise the Lord. Like, he has spoken to us. He has blessed us with the Holy Spirit. He has come down. Like in verse 8, he has 
come down to deliver us and to save us. And so while this was a big passage, while there's a lot, while there's still a ton more that we could say and that we can talk about, I, I really just hope that this encourages you and it gives you kind of a sight of, and remembrance of what Jesus has done for you in your life and what God has done. Because God has a call on you. He's got a purpose for us. He delivers us first and foremost. And then everything else that happens in our lives, hopefully would be for his glory. What's interesting about this and, and this passage too, is that they were in slavery to Egypt. And then what, what is the word for service is the same kind of as, as slavery in Hebrew. And it's that service to God now, even though we might look at it, you know, sometimes as that slavery, but we're, we're called out of darkness into his marvelous light. And there's nothing better in this world than to be in the light of Christ and to have hope and to have peace and to understand true agape, sacrificial love that love of God, and then to know that, that we are cared for and that we do belong and that there is a purpose, again, for our lives. It's so different from the world. It's so completely countercultural. It's flipped upside down because the hope of this world, I, I'm not entirely sure what it is anymore. You know, the love of this world, I'm not entirely sure what that is anymore. You know, the peace in this world, I don't really know what that looks like but I do in Christ. So praise the Lord that he has called us. He has delivered us and that he has given us a purpose. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, well, we just love you and we just thank you for everything that, that's going on in our lives, even the struggles and the trials and the tribulations. Like, Lord, there's been so much joy through so much heartache. Uh, I know in this room there are things that have happened that we're left wondering, but in the end that, Lord, you have turned it out for good. And it's true in Scripture that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to your purpose. And so, Lord, continue to build within us your purpose and your plan. Continue to grow a fire in our hearts for you that we may go out and that we may see and be and do and love in your light and for your glory. So, Lord, uh, continue to work within us. Continue to love us. Continue to to call those around us, continue to commission us, to allow us to grow in unity of the faith that is in you, Jesus. So we love you and we thank you. It's in your name. We will forever pray. Amen.